Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of these least commands and teaches accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Good job, buddy. That's awesome. Good job, Lucas. And working on that. And you guys can tell he put that to memory. That is such a beautiful blessing. Thank you. And uh, thank you, Matt and Amanda, for working uh, on that with him. What a great, what a great gift for us this morning. And and Gabe and Adam, thank you guys too. You guys are a gift to us. Um, you know, we didn't get the gift of having AIM the whole class with us earlier this fall uh, last year. And so just having a few of the students here with us is is it's it's just such a blessing. And let me just again say. Uh, seeing everybody together again is, is like water for my soul. It is, uh, <laughs> it's pretty dry talking to a camera up here alone, I gotta admit. But being here and uh, having a, a body that's worshiping together and, and taking communion together and studying together is just such a blessing, and I'm so thankful for it. Well, how's your new year going? Ooh, right? <laughs> Tough question. Has the, has the glut of 2020 somehow spilled over into 2021, right? It didn't just stop. We've all in the last several months experienced lots of things. Regret, heartache, loss, and of course mistakes have been made. You know, but not all mistakes are bad. I kind of want to spend a little light on that. Not all mistakes are bad. Some mistakes are are hilarious, right? <laughs> I mean, there's moments in our life where we make mistakes and it can be pretty funny. Like this guy. This guy, I'm going to show you on the screen, he ordered online. He thought he was getting a full-size Lazy Boy for his living room, and this is what he got. You know, mistakes are made. Or how about this girl, his next slide, she needed a new cutting board for her kitchen. She ordered on Amazon.com, and she didn't check the dimensions. Now, this one gets funnier the longer you look at it. I mean, it's like 4 by 4 48 by 48 You could butcher a cow on that thing. A small cow, but you could butcher a cow. I mean, that's impressive. I just, that cracks me up. Or how about this guy at Christmas? Yeah, can you see that one? Doesn't match. <laughs> Which is a little personal to me. Uh, I don't know if you've been there. Allison and I have been there. This exact moment, this isn't my picture, but we could take this exact picture. Several years ago when we moved to Canadian, we'd never really done Christmas lights. We'd done some small ones on our porch before. Uh, but uh, we got to talking when we moved to Canadian. I said, I want Christmas lights. It's something, something I never grew up with. Uh, we didn't have Christmas lights. Thank you, Jack Perkins. I'm, I know you're out there. All right? He was a Scrooge. Still is. I mean, I mean still is. Yes, send me my birthday money, Dad. Um, <laughs> but uh, he didn't do lights, so I want to do lights. I want to get on the roof with my kids. I want to get that going. Well, we, we, you know, we're planners, so we drew it out. We did a little diagram of our roof. We got up there, measured it out before we ever ordered the lights. We ordered the lights. We had it perfect where we knew exactly how they were going to line up. We knew that six feet of light would be over the back. That would be the overlap. Everything was drawn out and perfect and ready to go, only to get it done and have this exact thing happen, get it completely done, and then look at it. 
and go, what in the world? Which would have been bad enough. We put it away that year and repeated the exact same thing the next year. <laughs> Which is absolutely the most embarrassing thing ever. The second year I did it, though, I stripped the wires and just rewired it and made it work. I wasn't taking them down again. Mistakes are made, have been made, and will be made. We all know this. We've all done things that range from humorous to embarrassing to even the shameful. That's because there will always exist in our life a gap, right? A gap between who we are right now and who we want to be. And you know what that gap feels like. But the good news is, is that as much as we mess up, we believe as Christians that there is capacity for growth in our lives. There is an ability to change and to transform, to become who God wants us to be. And it seems that everybody knows this. This is not just in the Christian world. If you peruse bookstores or get on Amazon and you look at top sellers, the number one most profitable genre of books in America is what? Who wants to guess? Self-help, right? And self-help have been around forever. It seems that mankind is always curious about getting better. We as people know we can get better. We believe we can be better. And that's nothing new. But the thing is, that as much self-help that is out there, we know this, and probably a lot of you are already there in your mind, it doesn't matter how much we read and spend and try, we know that self-help is not actually enough. And the reason is, is because transformation and real change, filling that gap, moving across that gap, spanning that gap between who we are and who we want to be, goes well beyond self-help. So we're in week number five of this series we're calling Living the Way of Jesus. It's a series about us getting back to the heart of what Jesus did when he said, follow me. He called us to discipleship, to apprenticeship, to be like him. And of course, we've been saying, it's not even on the screen, but you guys can say it with me. The three goals of a disciple are to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. Maybe you can't say it without being on the screen. <laughs> That's okay. Our goals are to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. And although we've already taught four weeks on this, we're not done. We're not finished with this because there is more. To live the life in the way of Jesus is more than just saying, here's three things. Discipleship requires the full inside-out transformation of the disciple. Because, and it's written on the screen and y'all have already read it, and this is where we're going to center ourselves around and where Scripture is going to take us. Disciples of Jesus are those who arrange what? Their whole life around transformation into his image. Their whole life. So there's much more for us to get into. Much more for us to explore. And we're going to spend some more weeks on this. More to seek. More to live into about living the life of Jesus. So I've got a question as we start. 
And this is interpersonal. You need to look and examine, as Gabe was just telling us about, goes beyond just the communion service. Are you ready for change? Are you ready for some change? Who in here this morning is ready for some transformation? Because a lot of us, haven't you been stuck lately? Or recently, been in a rut? Maybe this morning you're stuck in an addiction to substance or to some sort of media or social media. Maybe you're stuck in an addiction to pornography or maybe you're stuck in the way that you relate to others in a pattern of gossip or maybe you're stuck in hurtful relationships or stuck in a uh, toxic marriage or toxic relationships. Are you stuck? How big is that gap between who you are and who you want to be? Are you stuck this morning in fruitless Christianity. So I want you to think this morning about this question. What is the roadblock between who you are and who God is calling you to be? What is the thing that's filling that gap? Because we all have, and there's no shame in saying this, and there's no shame in admitting it. In fact, that's the first step. We have all been stuck and can get stuck again, right? We've all been in moments of dry faith, worn out faith, desert moments in our lives, but there is hope. There is a change. The proclamation of the gospel is that people, through the power of God, can change. And today we go a step further with living into that hope by looking at two ways that we can change. And I'm going to say this again and again until I'm blue in the face, until somebody tells me to stop saying it, and then I'm going to say it ten more times. But you are being formed. You are being shaped. You are a disciple of something or someone, right? And that can happen and does happen either unintentionally, which is most likely the case for most people in our world, that change happens to them slowly over time, unseen and unintentionally. It's called passive transformation. But as Christians, we believe in intentional transformation. That we are choosing to live the life of Jesus and to form our life around what he does. To grow and transform in his way. And today we're going to talk about two ways that change your life. And we're going to start with one that's really simple. Teaching changes your life. We are transformed by good biblical teaching. If you guys are following along with me, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 4. I want you to see how Jesus begins his ministry in the Gospel of Luke. I'm going to read a little section here, six verses. And I want you to, read, I want you to hear this of what Jesus is doing to rethink, to reshape people's minds when he starts his ministry. So here's what happens in Luke chapter 4, 16 through 21. So he went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, which was his custom. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight 
for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, were locked on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And Jesus begins his ministry in the Gospel of Luke with a teaching that was there to rattle his listeners, to get their attention. It was a teaching that was there to start the process of transformation. He sits down, he reads this uh, anticipatory uh, prophecy that someday somebody's going to come, a Messiah, and he's going to set the oppressed free, give sight to the blind, he's going to release prisoners He's going to do something. He's going to proclaim the leader of the Lord's favor. And then he sits down and everybody's looking at him and he says this one line that would have rattled the whole room. And in fact, if you keep reading, it rattles them so much, they try to kill him for it. All right? I've never preached a sermon quite like that. I've preached a lot of sermons that people get mad at me for, but never one where they've tried to drag me out and kill me. That's what they do to Jesus here. But he does that because he says to them, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. What he's doing is he's saying the long-anticipated, the six, seven hundred years of waiting is now over. He's giving them an imagination, opening their minds to what is possible. He's saying you've been waiting on this, this thing that you never thought possible. Generations have gone by waiting for the Messiah. Now a new world is opening. The kingdom of God is at hand. That is good teaching. Jesus is genius. He loves to just kind of leave something out there, right? Float it out there. And that's how good teaching works. Teaching is transformational because it gets us to rethink and reimagine what can be so that we can be who God has called us to be. In other words, in short, reimagination is always the first step of transformation. Reimagination is the first step of of transformation. In other words, teaching is transformational because what it does is it gets in your head and gives you a new alternative vision to live by. Because we all have scripts in our head, right? All of us are running scripts right now. You started a script. If you're tired of Sunday, if you're in a worn out spot with your faith, you were running a script this morning of going, well, I'm here, but I'm just going to get by, right? Or there's so-and-so, I know I don't like them. Or there's so-and-so, I hope they don't talk to me today. We're all running false scripts in our heads. You guys with me? I need an amen on that. We know that's true. We're all running these scripts. It's narratives that we believe in our head that can be true, but also we know what? They can be very false. There's false narratives that we run in our head that say about God that we've learned They say false things about God that we've learned from our culture and from our family. Those can be overcome by reimagination from the scriptures. There's lies that are embedded deep within our marriages that this will never work out, but they can be dug up by new hope given through Jesus. There's stories that we believe and scripts we believe about ourselves that I'm not good enough to do that or God would never use me in that way. And those can be overcome when we get into good teaching. So when Jesus begins his ministry, what he's declaring is a new reality. A kingdom has come, and it's present. You can touch it. 
and this unstuck, unrutted reality is here. This is teaching that changes lives. And of course, the New Testament continues this theme. Paul, in most of his writings, will get to the point of saying your mind matters, right? What you believe, what you think matters. In fact, he sums up his longest work, the book of Romans, 16 chapters. He takes 11 chapters of explaining lots of different theological points to get to Romans 12. And he says in Romans 12 this. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, because of what God has done, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the what? Renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So for Paul, he's saying here, transformation, it starts here. That we lay our lives on the altar of Christ as living sacrifices, not dead sacrifices, living sacrifices, it is an act of worship, and in doing that, we open our minds and we begin to be renewed. And he repeats this over and over in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 2.16, we have the mind of Christ. We've reimagined our life, and we see our lives now, what? Not as Jake, but as Christ. Not because I have a messianic complex, but I'm seeing my life as what would Jesus do if he were me, like we talked about last week, right? W-W-J-D-I-H-W-M, right? <laughs> I had to think on that one, right? 2 Corinthians 10.5, we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Colossians 3.3, 3, set your minds on what? Things above. And Philippians 3.5, he repeats... Similar to what he said in Corinthians. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. What he's doing is saying teaching matters. What you take in here matters. In other words, transformation, the New Testament declares, transformation requires your brain. It requires your mind. Of course, science backs this up too. This isn't something that's outside of the world of science. There's something that we all have. Everybody in here, everybody online... Our brains are like a muscle. Uh, they can be shaped. They can be reshaped. That's called neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity is this idea in brain science that says this. Neurons that fire together wire together. Right? And we know this is true. Neurons that fire together wire together. The more you think a thought, right, the more likely you have that thought. The more you have a thought about somebody, the more you are to think that about somebody. Again and again, or as Paul said it, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So our brains, think about it like this, they work like a hiking trail in the jungle. And the first time you have a new thought, maybe Christ, let's... let's Let's get this positive. Maybe you're being introduced to Jesus and you have this idea that I can be saved and I can be forgiven of my sin. Well, the first time you have that thought, it's like hacking through a jungle trail that nobody's ever walked through. That's how your brain works. The neural pathways aren't there for you to quite receive that or quite understand that teaching. 
But the second time you go down that path and you start to explore Jesus, what happens? The path is a little wider. And third and fourth and fifth and sixth, then you wear a pathway into the, into the, into the journey and you have this wide, expansive thing. That's the way your brain works. That's neuroplasticity. And everybody in here has that. Our brains are hardwired to work that way. And this can be a good thing. It's why you have good habits, men, that you can remember your wife's name, but it's why only because you think about it once a year that you forget your anniversary. You don't go down that trail enough, <laughs> right? Uh, you don't get that because you don't think about it. You only walk a trail every once in a while. And so what Paul's saying is if you only walk into the teachings of Jesus once a week, what's going to happen to you? You're not going to blaze a very big brain trail, are you? Your mind is not going to be renewed as if what Paul's saying in Romans every day. But we also all have not only good neural pathways in our heads, we also have neural pathways that are destructive, right? Prejudice and presuppositions and racism in our minds and things that we believe that are just not true. Neural pathways that we've connected or things like, get this one, right? I don't have my phone in my pocket, but we have all created a neural pathway when I don't know what else to do. What do we do? We've created a wide neural pathway. I better get my phone out, right? So much so that we have phantom, you, you guys know the, the little phantom ringing in your pocket? You think the phantom notification? You guys ever had phantom notification where you think your leg is buzzed, but it hasn't, Right? Those are neural pathways. Those are destructive things. They're neutral, but we've made them destructive because they've become major pathways in our minds. And that's what teaching does, though, is teaching, good teaching, through Scripture, roots out those patterns in our life. But this isn't the whole story because that's just one way we change. It's the first step. It's half the story. But I'm afraid to say before I move on, that too many of us like to leave transformation in teachings world and leave it there. Too many of us believe that good teaching or going to a Bible class once a week is enough. And it's not. And here's the reason why. Teaching is great, but you can't think your way only to Christ's likeness. You can't only think your way to Christ's likeness. The way of Jesus is not a way of thinking only, it's a way of life, the whole self. So for example, have you ever been there, and you, I know most people in here, you could raise your hand to this, I, I may not ask you to do it, but be thinking on this. Have you ever been to a service and heard a good teaching or went on a retreat or a camp or read a book or got into scripture and it just blew your mind and you read that passage a hundred times, but the hundred and third time you read it, it was like, oh my goodness, that's speaking directly to me, right? And you've been on that retreat, or you've been in that moment, or that camp, and you come back, and you're like, I am going to change. I'm ready to do dot, 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 right? I'm ready to start praying with my wife. I'm start, ready to start praying with my kids. I'm ready to start changing my life. I'm ready to get evangelistic at my school. I'm ready to start sharing Christ with my friends. And you're inspired to do something different. And then you get home and Monday happens. And what happens? The rut returns. And what you thought you were going to be, the gap comes back. And you thought, but you didn't do. 
Now, in those moments, and you need to hear me here, your problem in that moment is not knowledge, right? In that moment, you don't need another scripture or another Bible class or another podcast or another book to read. The problem there is deeper. The problem is that knowing something is not the same as doing something, right? Or even deeper, let me take it a little deeper. Knowing something is not the same as wanting to do something. Knowing something is not the same as loving to do something or desiring to do something. So James K. Smith, he's a Christian philosopher and writer, uh, tells this great story in one of his books about his wife getting into, this is an old food movement. I, didn't, I never really heard of it much, but there was an old food movement called the slow food movement. And it was this idea that don't eat fast things that are fast. Of course, fast food, that's fast food. Don't eat that. It, it was a diet and a fad that was out that said eat only things that are slow. So, so potato chips are fast. Don't eat potato chips, right? McDonald's is fast. Don't eat McDonald's, right? Uh, not a sponsor. Um, but, uh, and so she gave him this book on slow food, how to eat healthy by cooking things and buying locally and things that have taken time that you've worked with. And he said he's just loving this book. He was like, got into it, and it captivated him. It was so compelling to him. So he's highlighting, and he's, he's uh, earmarking pages, and he's telling friends about it. And one afternoon, he's, he's reading this book, as he's out in public, and he has this great moment of clarity. He's reading all about health food and how he should be a part of this movement. And he looks up from his book, and he realizes he's sitting in the food court at Costco eating a giant Costco hot dog, <laughs> which is the antithesis of slow food, right? And he had this moment of thinking, oh, what I want to do, I don't do. And that nails it. Because his problem in that moment wasn't knowledge. His problem was that he still loved hot dogs. Right? A Costco hot dog, which I've never had. I've had a Sam's hot dog. They're pretty good. Right? But the reason knowledge is not enough is knowledge alone cannot change our behavior. And that's because of this. And we'll look at some scripture where Jesus confirms this. What we love in our heart, this is a long statement, but let's listen and lean into this. What we love in our heart has far more to do with what we do than what we know in our heads, right? That's why teaching has to hold hands with practice. The second thing that changes our life is teaching becoming practice. Jesus says this over and over. In fact, he ends the greatest sermon ever given, Matthew 7, 24 through 27. He says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into, say it with me, practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into, say it with me, practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. 
The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And then he doesn't offer an invitation. He gets up and walks off. That's how he finishes his sermon. What a way to finish a sermon. Saying to them, you've heard this life-changing teaching, but if it doesn't walk hand-in-hand with practice, what good is it? And, of course, he affirms this in Scripture. Luke 8, he gives us a new definition of family. He replies to the crowd. They're asking him, hey, your brothers and your mom and your, your siblings are here. And he says, my, bro- my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and puts it into practice. And in John 13, 17, he says, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. This is right after he washes their feet, saying, if you do these things, you'll be blessed. And then his brother, James, picks it up and says in James 1, 22 through 25, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. See, James, man, James is like, <laughs> right? James is a, a uh, I almost said something I shouldn't have said. James, <laughs> he's a rear kicker, all right? <laughs> He'll kick you in the rear. That's what I was going to say. Um, he says, don't just listen to words, and de- that's deceitful. Just listen to your, the words. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word and does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard but doing it, they'll be blessed in what they do. So again, what we love in our heart has far more to do with what we do than what we know in our heads. So I got a question. How do we change? We are taught and we practice and we learn to fall in love with Jesus. If we're going to change, we can't give lip service to the great command We have to give life service to the great command. To love God and love others. That is a teaching that must become a practice. Practice must walk hand in hand with teaching. And teaching is aimed at the head. Practice is aimed at the heart. The things we do, church family, the things we practice, the things we do, do something to us. You know this. What you regularly do, what you regularly participate in, is what you become. Good or bad. Nice or ugly. That's who you are. In short, what you love is what you become. If you love degrading the opposite sex, you become a sexist, right? If you love encouraging others, you become a Barnabas. You become an encourager. If you love Jesus above everything else, you become like Jesus. So the question And you're like, this is not rocket science. But if we're going to practice the way of Jesus, we've got to answer this question. All of ourselves individually need to examine and say, what do I love? 
And that's not just a throwaway question, church family. That is a question we need to spend time with. What do I actually love? We not only become what we do, the deeper truth of this is we become what we want. Did you hear me? I know I've lost some of you here. I apologize for that. We not only become what we do, we become what we want. Our wants and longings come from the core of who we are. That's why the Proverbs in Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart. For why? For everything springs from it. Or for everything you do flows from it. What you love will create who you are. James K. Smith, the hot dog guy, also said this. This is so good. And I'm going to close with this. I'll, I'll wrap up after this. As it said, following Jesus or discipleship is a matter of knowing and believing. But even more so, it is a matter of hungering and thirsting. Oh, it's so good. Discipleship is a matter of knowing and believing. But it's also a matter of what's coming out of my heart. What do I love? What do I hunger and thirst for in this world? What am I seeking? What am I going after? What am I being taught? And how am I putting it into practice? So this morning, I think it's time Man, if 2020's taught us anything, hopefully it's taught us this. That maybe we shouldn't take this for granted anymore. Right? It's easy to take church for granted. It's easy to take Christian community for granted. Everybody's fine. David Calabrese, great quote, he says, everybody's fine on a Sunday morning. Right? You know what I mean. Got a few laughs out of that. Some of y'all are grumpy this morning. Good night. Golly. My jokes are better than that. All right? But I think 2020 has taught us this, church family. Let's stop playing church. This isn't a show. This isn't an act. This isn't something that we get lip service on and then go out and treat the rest of the world like we want to treat them. It's time for us to be disciples. And discipleship means honesty. And discipleship goes and says to each other, look, there is a gap between who I am and who I want to be, and I'm ready to have other people help lead me across that gap because that's what Christian community does. And we don't become the people that say, no, I got it all figured out and say we're fine on a Sunday and lie. What we need, and if we've been taught anything in this past year, is let's not take this for granted. Because this can be taken away. But the thing that can't be taken away is us being followers of Jesus. If we're really, truly following Jesus. So I want to challenge you this morning. It's time to lay some things down. You need to lay some things down today. The invitation is to lay it down. Lay down that pride. Lay down that habit. 
lay down that thing that is the gap holder for you, that, that barrier that's in between what God's calling you to be and who you are today, it's time to lay it down. And we don't invite you to that out of judgment. Like I finished with last week, laying it down and the call to lay it down is an act of mercy. Because none of us, amen church, none of us deserve to be here. You are this morning in a room of sick sinners, right? Who are only here because the grace of God has made us saints. And we're grateful for that. So whatever you need this morning, let's not make confession, let's not make honesty, let's not make authenticity strangers in this place. Let's make repentance and authenticity and confession welcome friends because that's what gets us towards transformation. May you be taught by Jesus and may this week you practice the way of Jesus. Let's stand together and sing.